All right, well, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 12 as we come to the end. Not only the end of Daniel, but the end of all things concerning this world. In our last time together, as we made our way through chapter 11, Daniel once again was given a vision concerning the manner in which the future would play out for the nation of Israel taking him from the point in which he currently stood all the way to one that we have been introduced to in Daniel chapter 8 named Anicus Epiphanes, who would parallel the actions of one that was still yet to come, that is, the Antichrist. The Bible speaks of the Antichrist in great detail. He is known as the son of perdition, the man of sin. We know that he will arise in the last days. And only that which is currently restraining him will do so until that one is removed, which I believe is the Holy Spirit working through the church today, keeping the Antichrist at bay. At the rapture of the church, when God comes to meet us in the clouds, to remove us before plunging the world into a seven-year period of tribulation, the last three and a half years being the Great Tribulation, that removal will allow for the Antichrist to rise. As we pick it up in verse 36 and get a running start into chapter 12, we find Daniel once again who I believe in chapter 11, I should say chapter 10, has now been confronted by the precarnate Christ. An angel now explaining to Daniel the vision that he is being given concerning the people of Israel and what is still yet to come. When we come to verse 36 in Daniel 11, we move from verse 35 from the person of of Anicus Epiphanes, and now the prophecy is telescoped into the future. And just as Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 8 compared the Antichrist with Anicus Epiphany, calling them both the little horns, we now move to the Holy Spirit describing for us the Antichrist himself. And I believe the passage will indicate that as we make our way through it. It is a literary device that we find in the Old Testament that I'll also prove to you this morning, allowing for us to move uh, from the focal point of Anicus Epiphanes into the future and the description and the profile of the Antichrist who is to come. But let us begin in verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither god of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God. 
for he shall exalt himself above them all. Antiochus Epiphanes, we know, came into the temple there in Jerusalem. He erected a statue of Zeus. He slaughtered a pig on the altar. And defiling the temple, he, showed, he tried to demonstrate his dominance of the Jewish people. It was his, it was his desire that they recount or they, they turn from the God of Israel and follow the gods of the Greeks and of the Romans. More specifically, the Greeks. That being said, we find that that moment was called by Daniel the abomination of desolation. And that would suffice if it wasn't for something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. A period of time after that event. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15, he said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation. Well, wait a minute. It's already occurred, hasn't it? What do you mean there's still yet something along those lines that is yet to occur? And then he specifically says, spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. There is something more coming. Jesus made it abundantly clear that the events that Anicus Epiphanes fulfilled wasn't the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy given to Daniel. In the Old Testament, when it comes to prophecy, there's often what is known as a short-term fulfillment, often in the lifetime of the prophet himself, or shortly after the prophet's period here on this earth. But then there's often a long-term fulfillment also, where it becomes a type or a shadow of what is still yet to come. We know this because Paul, when you come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, made it abundantly clear that the Antichrist who is to come will fulfill the ultimate fulfillment of this event called the abomination of desolation. Notice with me. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if it is from us, as though the day of Christ has come. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Paul made it abundantly clear. He did so to these new young believers in the area of a city called Thessalonica. In his six weeks with them, in their discipleship course with Paul the Apostle, they were taught eschatology, the study of the last days. 
The church there in Thessalonica had been troubled by a letter that they received, apparently from the hand of Paul. It was a forgery, and Paul made that clear. And that letter indicated that they were now currently in the day of the Lord because they were experiencing great persecution and trouble at that moment. But Paul says, no, understand that that day will not come until the great falling away and the rise of the one that we know to be the Antichrist, who in Revelation 13 clearly erects an image of himself and desires all to worship him, denouncing all gods, claiming himself to be God, and demanding the allegiance of his followers by a mark on their forehead or on their hand. And without it, they cannot buy or sell. In receiving that mark, it is impossible for them to receive salvation in Jesus Christ, and they have, as one would say, sealed their fate. Aren't you glad we're talking about light things today? And if you notice with me in verse 36 and 37, events are described in perfect parallel with what we have just described. Now in the life of Anicus Epiphanes, he did not claim to be God himself. When he issued coins, he did so with the God of Zeus on them, not of himself. So he could not have fulfilled what has just been read in verses 36 and 37. That will be yet fulfilled in the person of the Antichrist. Again, this parallel has already been developed as the little horn was mentioned in Daniel 7 and then also mentioned in Daniel 8 of Anicus Epiphanes. So he becomes a type of, an illustration of, a shadow of things yet to come. But more is given, verse 37. For he shall regard neither God of his fathers nor the desire of women nor any god, for he himself exalts himself above them all. There are many scholars who believe that the Antichrist initially will pose himself as an atheist. This also may indicate, and I I believe it does, that the Antichrist will be Jewish, denying the god of his fathers. And then we have the phrase, the desire of women. What does that mean? Well, some have speculated to mean that he is homosexual. He has no desire for women. I don't agree with that. I think that that is a Jewish term referring to Jesus Christ, who is the desire of women. Now, what does that mean? When we go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the promise was given stating that I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It was the desire of Jewish women to be the one to bring forth the Messiah. When you know that, when you read the incredible response that Mary gives in Luke, you understand the incredible joy that she had by receiving this in the miraculous way in which she did. That young girl... Wow, huh? That's something to hear. And yet, it was 
seen and foreseen before the foundations of the world that God would bring himself into this world in this way. Isaiah prophesies about a virgin conceiving and giving birth to the Messiah. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, Haggai writes, he says, And all the will shake, I'm sorry, and I will shake all the nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So I believe that what Daniel is being given here is that the Antichrist will reject God the Father himself and Jesus Christ, the desire of women. I believe that is more consistent with just thinking that he's homosexual based on this passage because in comparison of Scripture to Scripture, it is much more likely that he is referring to Jesus himself. But how then can we move so quickly and telescope so far into the future and move from Anarchus Epiphanes into the characteristics of the Antichrist, though established as parallels in Daniel. If you'll turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. This literary device is used again concerning the king of Tyre. Now I want you to notice with me how the prophet Ezekiel, addressing the king of Tyre, it's woven within it the fall of Satan. And notice how it changes. It's the same type of literary device. So if you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28, notice with me. Let's start in verse uh, 2. Verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, this is Ezekiel, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man and not a God, though you have set your heart as uh, the heart of a God. Behold, you are wiser than, are you wiser than Daniel? There is no secret that can be hidden from you. It wasn't a question in three, that was an explanation. Verse four, with your wisdom and your understanding, and you, uh, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. But your great wisdom in trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. And because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of nations, and they shall draw their sword against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor, and they shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Uh, Will you still say before him, who slays you, I am a God, but you, are, you shall be a man and not a God. In the hand of him who slays you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens or foreigners. 
For I have spoken, thus says the Lord God. Now, it's easy at this point to say, okay, he's speaking solely of the prince of Tyre, the king of Tyre. Now watch it change. Same paragraph. Remember, the, ver- the chapter and verse divisions are not found in the original text. Notice, if you will. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up an, a lame, uh, lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. When? When was the king of Tyre ever in the garden of Eden? Notice how it just changed? Let's read on. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the braille, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of the timbrel and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you, and you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. A cherub, it's an angel. The king of Tyre was not an angel, he was a man. This is a literary device found in Hebrew prophecy. We find it in Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, where God will be writing concerning an individual and then weave within it theology concerning Prophecy to come, prophecy that are uh, explanation of what has happened or occurred in history. And I believe this is what justifies our reading of Daniel chapter 11 this way. Because this literary device is used. Now, let's take it one step farther, if I may. And you can read and memorize chapter 28 for next week. You will not be able to enter the church unless you recite it. We have to have standards here, you know. Verse 38 of chapter 11 of Daniel. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses. The Antichrist will uh, initially uh, derive his power from his military might. That's what it's referring to. And a God which his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver. Many believe that this is referring to Satan himself with precious stones and pleasant things. He shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god, which he shall acknowledge and advance uh, in its glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. Those who do sign allegiance with him will be rewarded for it. However, though, in so doing, they again seal their fate, to an eternal separation from God the Father. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Notice with me in verse 40. At that time, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him. At the time, Anicus Epiphanes, in his rise to power, is the king of the north. But the individual spoken of here is actually being challenged by the king of the north. It must be someone else that it is referring to. 
And I believe, again, this literary device that we displayed in the book of Ezekiel is being used here in the same fashion. Again, the parallel created by the, by the designation of little horn in Daniel 7, clearly talking about the Antichrist. Daniel 8, clearly talking about Anakis Epiphanes, a type of, a shadow of him who is still yet to come, the one who will ultimately fulfill the promise of the abomination of desolation. And as we read on, the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall enter into the glorious land that is Israel, which means that Israel would have to be in existence during the days of the Antichrist. Is it? Yes, it is. But if you look on a map before the 1940s, you're not going to find it, are you? God's setting the stage for the end. Now some will resist, as we find here. Many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the uh, prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. For the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east. Now this is very interesting. When you look at Revelation, it appears that those coming from the east are from China. And the north shall trouble him. This could be referring to Russia. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. There are some unique geopolitical things happening in our world today. I am gravely concerned of this posturing that we are now have entered into concerning Ukraine. If you know history, you will see that we are entering into this the, almost identically to the manner in which we entered into the Vietnam War. And that went so well, didn't it? I am very concerned that we are getting involved in something that is only going to distract from the disastrous domestic policies that have been implemented over the last year, but also embroil us into a war that we have no business getting involved in. President Joe Biden can stop this whole tension with Russia by simply instructing NATO not to allow the Ukraine into NATO, and this would all go away. We are being told that this is being done because of the value of democracy. Well, how many of you realize that the current president of Ukraine is one of the most corrupt individuals in that sector? I'm very concerned because there are many who believe that Russia may invade this Wednesday. Putin's going to have Valentine's Day, then he's going to enter into Ukraine. We don't need to be there. The last thing we need right now is throwing rocks with Russia, regardless. But one of the things that has happened over the last two years because of the geopolitical climate and the manner in which we have conducted foreign policy here in the United States of America, we have pushed Russia and China closer and closer and closer together than ever before. 
And interestingly enough, that when you come to Revelation or Ezekiel, you find that Russia and China play a large role. Now, they're designated in the names of the areas that, uh, from that culture. But if you look on a map and you take your finger and you find out where you know, Magog is, and then you realize that, okay, now what is this called today? Oh, it's Russia. The number of troops that are mentioned in, in Revelation concerning the, uh, the uh, attack of the Antichrist in Israel is numbered to the point where only China could fulfill it because they have that number in their military currently. We are getting closer and closer to the final scene. The Bible is very specific about this. Even though mandates are being lifted, and it appears that truckers in Canada are now starting to gain people's attention concerning freedoms, you remember that once a freedom is lost, it's almost impossible to regain. We must not take our foot off the gas pedal. Enough's enough. We've gone too far. Getting us embroiled in another war around the world will just profit the military-industrial complex again, as it has in the past. And it'll end up that American soldiers will die. And yet, to this day, all the blood that we shed for Vietnam had no impact upon the geopolitical world at all. And neither will this. So as the scene continues to move closer and closer, in verse 45 we discover that the Antichrist will place himself in a position between the holy city and the sea, between the glorious mountain and the sea, yet he shall come to his end there, and no one will help him. If you take a map and you look at the glorious mountains of Jerusalem and the sea, you find yourself in the valley of Megiddo, which is where the last battle will take place, known as the Battle of Armageddon in the book of Revelation chapter 16. It is at this place that forces from the east will come against the military forces of the Antichrist, and at that moment the clouds shall part. And the rider on the white horse in Revelation 19 shall return. And all of the nations of the world will rage against him. And clouds of witnesses will come with him, which I believe is our, you and I, at that moment. This is what Daniel is being given. He's given glimpses into these things. And of course, from Daniel's perspective, he wouldn't be able to comprehend the vastness of all that is being said. He's been given large brushstrokes, and yet the details are still yet to be revealed as we move into the New Testament, and further revelation of these days are given through Paul and John and the other writers of the New Testament, even Jesus himself. That leads us to verse 1 of chapter 12. We've only got another two hours, so hang in there. Guarantee to get out before Super Bowl. We find ourselves at the halfway mark of the tribulation period. 
It's at this moment that the angel, Michael, stands up to protect and to preserve the Jewish people. The 144,000 that are sealed, who take the gospel into the world during that seven-year tribulation period, the remnant of the nation of Israel itself will be protected by Michael. As we read here, at that time, then Michael shall stand up, the prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble. The last three and a half years of that seven-year period are known as the Great Tribulation. It is at this point that the Antichrist is wounded, and he appears to be mortally wounded, and he will appear to come back to life. And it's at that moment that Satan himself will enter the uh, Antichrist. You read that in Revelation 17. And the wrath of Satan across this world towards God's people, the Jewish nation of Israel, will be his focal. I hope none of you switched to decaf this morning. Isn't the Bible fascinating when you read it? And such was never, such as never was since there was a nation. Even to the time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. A remnant will survive. The Bible tells us that Jesus interrupts uh, this period of time because if he wouldn't, no flesh would be left. It's going to be a devastating occurrence. But God will preserve his people, the Jewish nation of Israel. I believe that there is a distinction between those who are in the church and the nation of Israel. Though we are both saved, a Jewish person and Gentile are saved in the exact same uh, fashion through, in and through the person of Jesus Christ. But based on Daniel chapter 9, we know that there is a allotted period of time of seven years that is still yet to come. Those seven years, I believe, are outlined between Revelation 6 through Revelation 19, designated by a reference of 1,260 days, which would be three and a half years in a 360-day year calendar, which the Jewish calendar was. I believe that the attention of these chapters, Revelation 6 through 19, is God completing His work of purification of His people Israel. It doesn't have to do with the church. I believe that because as God pours out his wrath upon this world in Revelation 6 through 19, Paul made it abundantly clear that we as Christians were not appointed to wrath. Why? Because the wrath of God was settled in and through the cross. It was in those, that period of darkness that the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus for our sake. So we who are saved through Christ in the church have no need to experience the wrath of God because sin, past, present, and future have all been rectified in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And this is why there are so many Old Testament references in those chapters because it's dealing with the Jewish nation of Israel. You know, as one said, I believe I have it written here. Uh, 
how many quotes was that? I'll find it in just a minute. You can look up here for yourself if you like. But counting the number, I believe that there are over 60 references to Daniel in the New Testament, most of them found in the book of Revelation, if I remember correctly. Daniel is key to understanding the book of Revelation. If that is true, then it's logical to assume that it is dealing with the nation of Israel and the promises given to Daniel and his people. So now we find that at this three and a half year point, Michael stands up in defense of his people to preserve his people. And then he is given a glimpse into the resurrection. And many of those who sleep, it's a term for those who died, sleep in the dust of the earth shall be awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. The resurrection, of course, mentioned in the Old Testament, but described and explained in the New Testament. It's called progressive revelation. It means that the Old Testament alludes to something. It gives us a glimpse of something, but then it is defined for us in the New Testament. Now, at the point of the rapture of the church, Paul made it abundantly clear that those who sleep in Christ will be gathered with those who are alive, and they will join the Lord in the air. But at the end, at the second coming of Jesus Christ, those who have died during the tribulation period shall be given the opportunity for everlasting life or everlasting death. The Bible in Revelation 20 calls it the first resurrection and the second resurrection or the second death. Now, you and I who are believers, when we die, we go straight to heaven. But there will come a point that each believer, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, must stand before what is called the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Well, what are we being judged for? Well, if I could simplify it, it is this. How we have used the new life in Jesus Christ for the purpose of glorifying Him. And those things that we have done to glorify Him, serving His purposes with the right motives, will be like precious jewels, silver and gold. But those things that we did through selfish motivations and for selfish reasons and so forth will be like hay and stubble. They will be burned up and all we will be left with are those things that we have done for Him. Those things that are left will constitute the crown that we will be given as reward. And that crown, according to Revelation 5, is ultimately thrown then at the feet of Jesus Christ in our act of adoration for all that he has done in and through us. But we are going to have to give an account. The new life that Jesus Christ has given us, provided by his blood, is the most precious gift that we have ever been given. And God is going to inquire of us how we use that gift to glorify Him. Or did we continue in our old ways? Did we live by the characteristics of complacency, apathy, and carnality? Or did we full-on surrender to our Lord and Savior, adopting that beautiful prayer, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in and through me.
Paul said it this way. He said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. The new life is the most precious gift that we have been given, and it is not meant to be squandered and wasted away on our own self-pleasures. That's what it's all about. Some to everlasting life, some to everlasting death and separation from God for all eternity. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great chapter to read on the resurrection. Revelation chapter 20 also gives us clarity into the second death for your reference, if you so choose. In verse 3, those who were wise shall shine, notice this, like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who use the new life, as Paul instructed us in, again, 2 Corinthians 5, when he said that in his ministry of reconciliation towards us, reconciling us back to God the Father through Jesus Christ, through the gospel provided for us, we then have new life, we are new creations, but then the purpose of that new creation is to allow all of us to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ here on this earth. It is Him that we serve. It is Him that we glorify with the lives that we have been given. Now I want to back up for a moment because what will determine this destiny with Him or apart from Him is found in verse 1 when it says, everyone who is found written in the book. What book? It's the same book that is talked about in Revelation 20. In fact, there it's plural. This is the book of life. And it's talked about Old and New Testament alike. In Psalms 69.28, should be on the screen behind me, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. And do not be written with the righteous. In Revelation 13, 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundations of the world. And in Revelation 20, 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, there are different ideas in how these books work. The overall important portion is having our name written in that book. There are some who hold that this is describing the, what would be called the, uh, the record of the village in small villages and small towns in that, in that period of time. A register was kept and everybody born was written into that register and every, anyone who died was, of course, cross, crossed out of that register. Some believe that all names are written in the book of life and are blotted out once they refuse to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, therefore not being found written in the book of life before the foundations of the world. Others believe that the book of life is two volumes and one has everyone and the other one has the names written in it who have received Jesus Christ. 
Either way, I don't know if we'll fully find out until we get there. But I don't want to get there and find out that my name is not written in the book of life, do you? I used to go on vacation with my parents when they were tried to be quote-unquote spontaneous. Arriving in Florida to find a hotel once we got down there. Only to discover that it was spring break. And the hotels were not available. We went down there without a reservations. Our name was not found. And so we had a beautiful room on the beach that, concerted, that uh, was contained in a four-door car for the first night. I don't want to get to heaven without knowing my name is found in the book of life. And you can know for sure today if, that your name is by receiving him today as your Savior. And then you can be assured that your name is written in that book. One more note. In Revelation chapter 20, it says, Now the books were open. And these are individuals standing before Christ who did not receive him. And it is believed that every thought, action, word spoken is recorded in those books. And they will have to try to justify themselves before Jesus, the, per, the God of perfection and perfect holiness, and through their own merit, try to find entrance into the kingdom of heaven, which is an absolute impossibility. The Bible tells us if you break one of the laws, you have broken all of the laws. God doesn't grade on a curve. The standard is perfection. And the only way to obtain that perfection is in and through Jesus Christ, not standing before God the Father in our righteousness, but in his perfect righteousness that can only be found in Christ. And those, verse 3, obviously, who live for God will shine in eternity like the stars forever. In verse 4, as we wrap this up. But you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book until the time of the end, meaning that these events are not yet going to unfold. Time is still going to pass before these events. It's not that the book is being closed in the sense of us being able to read it, but more to understand it. In Daniel's time, it wasn't until the completion of the New Testament and the work of the Holy Spirit through those individuals that we had further clarification of the events talked about here in Daniel. And many shall run to and fro, meaning time shall pass. Life will continue and go on. And knowledge shall increase as time goes on and more is revealed by God, more insight we shall have concerning these things. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who I believe this is an Old Testament appearance of Christ, who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river. And when he held his right hand, and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him, which is a very interesting thing. Only God could do this of himself. Only God could do this of himself appropriately. 
he swore by himself, on himself, and he said to him, who lives forever and ever, that it shall be for a time, that is one year, times two years, and half a time, a half a year. This is the three and a half year period that we talk about, which is of course reiterated in the book of Revelation specifically as 1260 days. Have been completed, complete, I'm sorry, uh, and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished when the judgment is finally fulfilled upon the nation of Israel. Although I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And many shall be purified and made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. God's saying that there's a period of time that's going to elapse that people will get saved. That he's going to do a new work. That the fulfillment and his desire of the nation of Israel will one day be, of course now we know, fulfilled in and through the church. To be a light unto the world. Instead of a nation, it'll be each of us as individuals being lights in the world of darkness. Time will pass. The wicked will continue to do wickedly as this time passes. But the end is not yet. Those who have understanding will know and understand that we are getting close to the return of Jesus Christ. This is similar to what we read in Revelation. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. We cannot be naive We should use the information given to us by God in His Word to absolutely discern the signs of the times. But Daniel, the time is not yet. And yet, when John was given the revelation on Patmos, at the end of it all, God said, open it up. It's time now for the church to understand what is yet to come. Verse 11. And from that time... The daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up. This is Revelation 13. There shall be 1,290 days. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was just 1,260 days. There's another 30 days added here. Many believe that this 30 days will, in, within this 30 days, excuse me, what will take place is the uh, events of Matthew 25, the, rep- uh, the separation of the sheep from the goat, sheep going into, of course, the millennial kingdom, the goats going on to judgment. But then there's another 45 days. And then he says, Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. And the scholars that I read believe that that is referring to the time that it will take to create the kingdom for the next thousand years. But you, go your way till the end. For you shall rest, that means Daniel, you'll die, and will, and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Daniel, don't worry, I got you covered. You're not going to see these things, but you're going to enjoy the presence of your Lord. 
The book of Daniel. Twelve weeks we've walked through this book, looking at it in depth. I believe that we are closer to the return of Jesus Christ than we may feel and think that we are. We don't know the day or the hour, but the events all continue to point us in that direction. And over the last two years, we have seen how quick a populace can be conditioned, haven't we? To follow the instructions of a few. Eventually, it'll be the instruction of one. Jesus told his people, he says, I've come in my Father's name, but you've rejected me, but another one will come in his own name, and him you will receive. Referring to the Antichrist. I don't know who the Antichrist is. I have no idea. I don't know if he is living currently today or not. I I don't know. But I know that he will arise just as the Bible says he will. We began this book with two ultimate goals and objectives in mind. First, it was to remind all of us that no matter what happens here on this earth, God is in control. That he knows the end from the beginning. That he is sovereign. And even Job, in his limited understanding of God, realized that no one on this earth could ever frustrate the plans and purposes of God or hinder them in any way. I often need to be reminded of this, especially in the chaotic situation that we've experienced, that God is in control. Now, from my vantage point, I often don't understand what God is doing. I don't know. He didn't consult me before doing it. But he did write a letter to me that tells me what I can expect to occur and how it will ultimately be fulfilled. And he gave it to me in the Bible. The second reason that we started the book of Daniel, after reminding ourselves of the sovereign reign of God over his creation, is to remind us that we are to live for his glory no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. As Daniel was taken into Babylon at age 15, he lived apart from his homeland, apart from his city, apart from his family, the majority of his life. He was roughly in his late 80s, possibly early 90s when Daniel died. And the the most of that time, from 15 to that point, he was in a foreign land. He was a stranger in a strange land. And yet he lived for the glory of God to hear these words. But for you, go your way till the end. For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. It is my hope and desire that each and every one of you stepping out of this world will step into heaven and hear these words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And if I may conclude with this, let me say it this way. If Daniel can do it, so can we. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. 
We thank you for this book.